Welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast. And today we are talking DreamHack. To do that, I'm joined by two of their executives. It's Mike Vandriel, the Chief Product Officer, and Justin Burnham, the Creative Director. Mike, Justin, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks for, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. So, big event coming up for DreamHack, DreamHack Anaheim, February 21st through the 23rd, and it's the first DreamHack tournament on the West Coast. What took you guys so long to get out here? <laughs> yeah, I can feel that one. I mean, it's it's a good question, of course. I think we've always had our eyes on, you know, the West Coast in California. Obviously, we work a lot with different game publishers out there. There's obviously a huge audience. Um, so I, I would say the answer is kind of like to give a bit of a history lesson. Um, you know, we started off uh, our very first event in the U.S. in, in Texas. Um, and that's a lot because it's, uh, you know, from um, an organization point of view, quite easy to do stuff in Texas. But more importantly for us, when we were coming to the U.S., we, we really looked at like what events and communities are existing. And Texas kind of had the strongest culture around bring your own computer um and land parties and so on so we kind of felt like that was at the time coming in as this you know swedish company very intimidated by america and everything that goes with that we felt like it was kind of the safest bet to go to texas right so we started in austin we've actually since moved the event to dallas but that was kind of the you know the first event we did and then we were like okay this was received very well we, we, we want to ramp it up keep doing more stuff uh and then we've added an event in atlanta um and a big part there is actually that because we, we actually feel like the that audience has kind of been underserved. You know, when we're coming in, we don't want to, you know, step on people's toes. We're not trying to, you know, compete head to head with anybody. We're just trying to, you know, add and create more experiences and, and see where there's, you know, some, some gaps to fill. Um, and obviously there's so much going on in California that it's like, it's a pretty well-served audience, right? I mean, I've personally myself spent, uh, you know, a lot of time in the Anaheim Convention Center at, at, at gaming events. Um, so, so that's kind of what, what led us, uh, to, you know, the places we've currently been doing events at. Um, but in general, California has always been on the, we, we got to go there. So we've just, um, you know, been taking our, our time, you know, we always try to work in a kind of slow and methodical way. So just because we're not doing something right now, doesn't mean we're not going to be doing it soon. Uh, so yeah, we're really excited to be, to be in, uh, California and Anaheim in the West coast for the first time. And, uh, it's looking like it's going to be one of our best events yet. Yeah, it's really exciting that y'all are coming out here. And, you know, LA has a little spoiled with all the different events they get to attend. So it's good you guys started with some of the underserved American cities, Atlanta, Boston. Uh, do you have Boston? Did I make that up? That might have came out of nowhere. Um, and no Boston. Atlanta, Dallas, those types of cities before the uh, regionalized esports leagues, the uh, Activision Blizzard started having events there. The DreamHack events were the first big tournaments they those cities had ever seen, really. So how do you choose where the location of an event is going to be? What are you looking for? What sort of uh, boxes are you looking to check off as you choose where the next location will be? Yeah, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, first and foremost is like, what is the city? How many people are there? Is there an audience? Is there a community? Is there an appetite? Uh, and then once we're like, okay, yeah, we think people would like this, then it then it starts to come down to what facilities are there. I mean, DreamHack events are, are you know, notoriously unique in terms of the needs we have around internet, the long hours we want to do. Um, you know, when we first 
started visiting in uh, to, to scout locations for the very first DreamHack event in the U.S. The convention center were like looking at photos of what we do in Sweden and and the concept, and they were just kind of like, oh, okay, this is different. This is this is something. And I mean, now that dialogue has changed, and there's so much appetite to host these kind of gaming events. So it's 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 thankfully actually gotten a lot easier and. And when we used to kind of need to, you know, justify what we do and explain what we do, now it's um, a lot about cities saying, hey, how can we get you to come come to our city? Hey, we, we've got a great venue. We've got a great airport. How can you come here? We've got a great everything. So so, so the, the dynamic has kind of changed. Um, and I think it kind of continues to evolve. But for us, it's like, first and foremost, like, is there, is there a good audience there? Is there a good facility there? And then we kind of look, how can we, you know, serve the different geographies? We, you know, we don't want to do all sorts of events in the same places. So, I mean, when you look at kind of the, when you map out the DreamHack events on a, on a calendar, of course, we're a global company. So we're doing stuff in, in, in Europe and we have an event in India as well, but we're trying to balance it out, right? So we've got, you know, Atlanta kind of in the, you know, the, the Southeast there, you've got our Texas event and then very natural to do something on the West coast. So we were trying to balance it and say like, Hey, you should be able to get on an airplane at some point in the year and fly, you know, two hours to get to a DreamHack event. So we try, try to balance it that way. Um, sometimes it can be driven by, you know, um, a sponsor or partner that's kind of pushing us, you know, it's kind of like just as a DreamHack event itself with all the different content happening there is a kind of, mix of a lot of different ingredients there's a lot of different ingredients that go and and help guide our decision about when and where we're picking different locations yeah let's look at some of those different ingredients that are going on in anaheim so the headlining tournament, a two hundred fifty thousand dollar prize pool fortnite tournament 100 grand on a csgo tournament 100 grand on a magic the gathering arena tournament halo warcraft 3 madden 20 a bunch of fighting game events rocket league and hearthstone that's a really robust schedule of games for three days. How do you balance all of those different games uh, at a DreamHack event? And how do you choose which games belong in which event? You know, it's a, it's a big undertaking to, to put on these tournaments and broadcast all of them. And, you know, in, in some cases, you know, we try to work with, you know, different partners. We, you know, for, for DreamHack, it's not necessarily about, hey, we need to do everything ourselves. It's about, hey, how can we engage with the community? So... You know, fighting games is a good example when, you know, when we came to, to start doing American events, we we're like, hey, let's get in touch with a guy who really knows what he's doing, Alex Jabali, and he, he can just work with the community and find different partners and get people involved to, to make our lives easier. Um, then when it comes to how do we pick games, I mean, it's, it's a pretty, it's also a little bit complicated, I would say. Um, it, it really varies, but, but I mean, again, first and foremost, is there a community there? And if, if there's not a community there, can we build a community and, and what do we think of the game, right? From there, if, if we look at that piece, then it comes down to what's the publisher? How do they feel? Do they want to do this? Do they not want to let us do this? Um, a lot of publishers have, you know, very um, advanced eSport plans, right, and, and grand strategies. And, and you know, we're, we're in pretty close contact with pretty much all the publishers, but... but um, you know, it's, a, it's an important piece. So if we're going to do, you know, a game like Madden, we need to, you know, talk to EA, figure things out. And, you know, in a lot of cases, or I mean, I would say in most cases, we have really great relationships with the publishers we work with. And, you know, they're kind of a part of making this whole thing happen, right? So, so that, that's a big piece. Um, and then there's, of course, you know, the whole business model and mechanics behind the esports in terms of, uh, 
You know, are we kind of commercializing this ourselves and selling sponsorships on it? Are we broadcasting it, earning revenues that way? Is it, you know, more participatory based? Um, you know, quite often uh, we'll work with publishers where we are kind of executing part of their larger program. So, you know, each different esport has kind of its own, I would call, commercial strategy behind it, where um, for us it needs to fit in and make sense with the community, the publisher, and having a, you know, sustainable business case that's going to make sense. You know, we, we, we're really keen on, you know, building things that are going to last and grow over time. Uh, you know, we, we, we don't like to go crazy off the bat. We like to do things in a, you know, in a steady, calm way. So, uh, yeah, I think that, that would be my answer. It's really interesting. How much are you tailoring the events you choose around what games are popular in that region? So, for example, Fortnite is a very popular American title. Maybe if you, I don't know what the schedule looks like for the event in India, but then would PUBG Mobile be included over there, considering that's a very popular game there? Is that one of the big considerations is, you know, what games are people playing in the area we're going to? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a huge consideration, right? Like we're doing Madden in, in the US. We're not going to do Madden in Sweden. It might be fun to do Madden in Sweden, but that wouldn't make any sense. So, so, so it's, it, it's, it's definitely a big piece. I would say we have, you know, we have certain esport tournaments that are very like regional focused, uh, you know, and collegiate is also another thing where we're partnering with, you know, CSL right now. And they're, they're bringing some, you know, college based esports to our events. But it, it's super important to have that audience there. And we would rather you know, do, do things that support the local audience. I think if there's not going to be a thousand people to show up, you know, there's not going to be a tournament anyway. Right. So, it, so it wouldn't make sense. So, so we're definitely trying to, you know, follow the, the, the local markets and trends. And I mean, for us, it's really important to try to support and, you know, uh, have as many communities uh, featured as, as possible as our event. We always feeling like everything, you know, everything gaming under one roof, right? So whether it's a sports game, a mobile game, if there's people that are interested to come do it, then that's cool. I mean, we run a ton of tournaments in the, you know, the bring your own computer section of the event. And I think people also show up and organize their own tournaments too, right? So. Yeah, DreamHack events really feel like an esports celebration in many ways, because you have all these different communities that wouldn't, you know, there's not a ton of overlap between Fortnite and Hearthstone and uh, Madden 20. They all serve different communities, Magic the Gathering. And then you bring them all together in DreamHack and it's uh, it's sort of this melting pot of different esports, all the different demographics that come with the different games. And that's one of the things I love about, about DreamHack events specifically is bringing together this wider gaming community all under one roof, all competing in various titles, whatever title they enjoy. And I think you get a lot of exposure to other games that you might not otherwise. One of, some of my first exposure to Rocket League was at DreamHack Atlanta. And I was like, wow, this game is amazing. And I became a huge fan after that. And it was only because I was watching you know, DreamHack stuff for other games that were there and I came across Rocket League and started watching it. So I, I love what DreamHack does for the esports space as it brings together everybody in these different celebrations all over the world. Um, well, I mean, I'll jump in there on that comment too, because that's the whole idea of the festival brand of DreamHack, right? It's like, so the idea as we kind of branch out and build these verticals amongst esports and amongst the game industry as a whole, it's more like, how do we bring the fans of the game industry in, whether it's esports, um, 
tabletop indie games. It doesn't matter what it is. How do we bring the fans of gaming and then integrate? Because I use um, keywords when we design a lot of these things in the festival, like integration, discovery, stuff like that. Because your esports um, attendee that might be wanting to sit there for three days and watch an event, he's going to get up. He's going to get up. He's going to go do something else. What else can we give him to discover? What maybe it's another esport game. Maybe it's um, indie games. Maybe it's tabletop games. Maybe it's um, a game pitch competition that we're doing. Maybe it's the Dreamy Awards show. But the point is, is you know, you don't know what you don't know. And if we create this land of gaming discovery, we are creating new fans while honoring the fans of each demographic. Definitely. And so you bring up some of those other things that are at DreamHack events. For people that haven't been fortunate enough to attend an event, what are those, what are you really trying to build out around just the gaming tournament? Because it's more than just competitive gaming play. You talk about those indie titles, you talk about bring your own computer. Can you give a lay of the land for what a DreamHack event looks like for somebody who hasn't been able to attend one yet? Yeah, I mean, you kind of nailed it on the head, except it's even grander than the one sentence. So your direction of one of your sentences was, um, it's a celebratory of esports. And I would go one step further that it's the idea that it's a celebratory of games and the gaming lifestyle as we all lead as we play these things. You know, because it's no different than, you know, when you have an esports player, you know, I'm a big, for example, personally, I'm a big health nut, right? Health isn't, um, health is my lifestyle. So we have to live it, breathe it, eat it. You know, the same kind of thing with an esports player. They have to live it, breathe it, eat it. So how do we create that gaming lifestyle for all that encompasses it, whether it's indie games, tabletop, all that stuff? So the whole idea is how, what are the hobbies of gamers and what could they like? So everything is still curated under a gaming lens. So even when we book music, it's basically thinking to ourselves, okay, when I'm, when I'm playing Overwatch, whatever game I might be playing that doesn't require team communication or anything like that, or even practicing, I might be playing um, that game to high energy music. Okay, it, well, that might be EDM, heavy metal, stuff like that, but it's high energy. So, okay, well then let's just book high energy because it's relatable to gamers that play. So everything really does have that kind of lens and curation filter. So we want to create that gaming festival, that gaming celebration to um, think of it like you ever look at a Disney World map? <laughs> I use this as a kind of an example. Um, you know, you look at a Disney World map and what do you see? You see everyone's going there to celebrate Disney, to celebrate that kind of world. But then they see Tomorrowland over here, Adventureland over here, you know, um, oh God, I can't believe it. Frontierland is another one. There's even Epcot, right? So how do we create uh, essentially, um, you know, that kind of feeling? You know, you're, for example, here's a perfect example. I've worked with a lot of game artists in my day and whether it's for a title that I've worked on, whatever it might be. Um, I know they typically, you know, they really love the game art, but they don't go to these events a lot of times. They might not go to it or they might just want to um, not really just work, you know, create the concept art that they're creating. However, in creating an art gallery in an art area, we have now created a reason for them to come and take like participate because we might be hanging up their art. We might be showcasing their art. And now that we got them there, they might walk over to a rocket league stage or an overwatch stage and go, okay, you know what? This actually looks kind of fun. And that's what we want all under the gaming flag. It's sort of that connective tissue of all the different uh, TwitchCon is actually somewhat similar to that. So you have all these different people that come from these different sectors, all united under one thing. I think that's what DreamHack does for esports 
specifically is bring all these different people in who have an interest in this, but come from different sectors of it. And it's really cool. So I want to talk about that a little bit. As we see so many esports move towards this franchise model where they're closing themselves off from third party tournaments, Overwatch, Call of Duty, League of Legends, where do you see DreamHack fitting in and what is so important about having that third-party tournament organizer for the esports e ecosystem at large? Yeah, it's uh, you know it's interesting. I think we're going to continue to see how um, you know things evolve. I mean, honestly, it's like we're having you know the, when we've been in Dallas, the um, you know the Dallas Fuel are on site doing activations, having fan meets and greets, doing all this kind of stuff. So we don't really see it, you know, as a as an issue at all. I think um, over time, I think one of the biggest criticisms that are out there right now of a lot of the franchise leagues is that there's not really a, you know, a proper feeder league and, and systems in that. So I think from like a competitive and like ecosystem point of view, there's, you know, there's some risk there of, of stagnation and, you know, you can talk about teams that have, you know, done poorly the whole season and don't really get punished or have incentives. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's some things that, you know, there's pros and cons with any system, right? Um, and then, I mean, the role of a, you know, third-party organizer, I think I think every publisher right now is kind of doing their, you know, their different experiments to see, like, what works, what doesn't, what does the community like, what do they not like? I mean, I think when you look at, you know, Call of Duty League, one thing they've really done right is to still host these challenger events in conjunction with their larger events because, at the end of the day, there's this amazing history of, you know, these open bracket live competitions where, you know, you come and you play with your friends and you meet other players. And it's not necessarily this kind of, um, you know, one dimensional experience that just watching a game can be, but actually there's interactive social elements and, you know, participatory things. So I, I think, um, you know, the, the model that's being tested right now will, you know, continue to evolve and, and, Third parties are, are, are going to be a big piece of this. I, I think, to be to be frank, I think game developers do awesome jobs making games, and and that's why you, you know, see, for example, um, you know, EA gets a license to make a Star Wars game because it makes sense that you know the Star Wars people focus on you know making movies, right? And and similar with FIFA and other stuff. So I think a lot of a lot of publishers are are, are going to look for for partners to help them do this stuff and and not necessarily do it in house. So um, and I mean, I think a fortunate thing is that there's, um, there's just so many great games out there, right? So yeah, maybe DreamHack this year will do less Call of Duty. It's never been a huge game for us in, in general, but we'll, we'll do other games as well. And, and we'll find ways to, you know, support those, those communities anyway. Um, for us, it, it, there doesn't necessarily need to be a tournament at DreamHack for that community to have a touch point. Um, you know, all the different, uh, it's actually pretty cool in a way of when there's an Overwatch League team in a city that we're doing an event in, then we're like, oh, great, the box is ticked because we know that team is going to come and activate because they want to reach gamers and, and we actually can, can drive value for each other. Um, but of course, you know, we're really passionate about running our own tournaments too. So um, we'll continue to do that. And, and I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for that anyway. So yeah. But uh, I think it's definitely an interesting time in the, in, in the world of esports. There's, there's so much going on and a lot of publishers trying different things. And, and I think also different things will work for different games and communities. Um, and I, I think we're, we're pretty confident we're going to continue to be a part of that. 
What I really love about DreamHack events is in many ways it feels like it gives a lot of power to smaller titles. We talked a lot about Rocket League, so we'll use that as an example. Psyonix, not a huge developer. They were an Unreal Engine uh, company that worked mostly with EA. They create Rocket League and they don't really have the esports infrastructure in place. They have RLCS, but then DreamHack is sort of their... That was the biggest tournament they'd been at at the past and it really brought that exposure. So I think it's really important, those DreamHack events, for the lesser known esports to have that tournament organizer because their individual scenes you know, aren't nearly as developed. And it allows those smaller developers like Psyonix to push their esport up and continue four or five years of growth uh, thanks to DreamHack in, in a lot of ways. So it really induces some parity into the entire esports landscape. So it's not just Activision Blizzard pumping out esport after esport because they're the ones that can build out massive franchise leagues around them. And it's uh, the games that the community supports end up growing significantly. And you've seen that with games like Rainbow Six as well was one that was pretty popular DreamHack, I believe, and some other ones over the years uh, as it builds them up. I think that's one of the coolest things about DreamHack is how it uh, the, the lesser known titles get sort of a, a stamp of validity when DreamHack hosts an event in their title. Yeah, I can sometimes see it a bit like, a, you know, a, a rite of passage of a way in a lot of games that were like a bit of an incubation space for different esport titles. Um, it's, it's funny, I think at, I forget what event I was at, but I was talking to one of the, you know, members of the Psyonix esports team. And, you know, we've been working with them for like four years. And the very first tournament we did was, you know, it was a pretty simple broadcast with, you know, a pretty simple stage and not the biggest prize pool. And then just each year we just kind of, kind of grew it. And we were at one event where he was kind of pointing out, you know, this was, this stage was, you know, where we were at with you guys, you know, two years ago. And now we've got, you know, this stage, this size audience. And then, you know, this, it was actually a DreamHack Dallas because then we were hosting DreamHack Masters in the arena beside the convention center, right? So then there's this whole kind of progression. And at DreamHack, you can see, yeah, there's an arena there. We're hosting this DreamHack Masters. But then you've got this, you know, all different kind of levels of esports all the way right down to a bringing your own computer competition that has, you know, maybe a headset as a prize. Who knows, right? Um, so I, th I think for us, that's something that we really kind of pride ourselves on. And it's, it's definitely something you know, unique, I think, to, to what we do. And... I mean, we love it and it's, it's awesome and it's fun because it's nice to work with, you know, different titles and reach different communities and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's rewarding and I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad you see value in it. Hey, and to add to that, actually, Mike and I talked about this some time ago and we're doing a debut kind of thing in Anaheim specifically called Indie Rumble kind of created based off of the climb that Rocket League had. I mean, a lot of people that um, have joined Rocket League and play Rocket League today sometimes don't even know or forget where it came from in terms of it was basically an indie game and a small team that did a PlayStation Plus kind of deal with Sony and released their game for free to take a risk by everyone playing it. That was a huge financial risk that paid off. They released their game on day one for free to the world, you know, and that's that was what skyrocketed it. So one of the things that Mike and I have discussed in the past, and we're doing in Anaheim, and we're, this will be the first time we do it in Anaheim, we're going to try to build it, is how do we help build those games that are like that? How do we find the next quote-unquote Rocket League? It's like So these games, they go head-to-head, -head, and actually it's three, so they go head-to-head-to-head, -to -head -to -head, and it's not about who wins it, 
It's about what is voted on as the most entertaining game, the most um, fantastic gameplay, the, you know, all that. It's really voted on the game. So it's not about who wins the tournament. So best out of three, and we'll pick the most popular game by vote. And then that popular game graduates to the next tier, which is now at the next event, we're going to do a BYOC tournament through the three days with it. So how does DreamHack help organically grow the next Rocket League is super important to us because it also goes back to we help foster that. We help give back to the industry. Um, it goes with the whole um, remember where you came from. You started with DreamHack. I'm a big, big um, you know, relationship kind of guy type of thing. Um, so it's a pretty powerful product and a powerful platform that we can help build those kind of things on. Definitely. So this is this is uh, gets to one of the topics of this podcast that has been a recurring thing. Uh, for many of the indie games I've noticed coming out are in this Rocket League style. They're sort of sports-ish with unique uh, gaming twists to them. What is that genre called? We've asked other people who have developed these games. We've asked people from Psionics. What do you think the Rocket League genre is? Just like they have a MOBA or an FPS Rocket League doesn't really have one, so I'm curious if you guys have a, a genre name for that. Uh, Mike, uh, <laughs> I would say I would say sports game, but yeah. uh, the, I think they're. I know they have one. They kind of use. I, I don't. I, I don't know what it is though. I, I know I've heard some different fun. I but I think like those. They they sometimes just call it. You know, like yeah, space the. I, I don't know, actually. I don't know. But I know <laughs> we've had uh somebody came on who had a role I think it was Roller Champions. One of their developers came on. They said they're calling it uh competitive arcade team sports or cats. I mean <laughs> I mean sure. I mean I mean in all honesty, arcade sports is actually probably the most accurate. You know, having grown up with games my whole life since I was a kid, that's what exactly what it feels like, you know. It's like you know, it has the same feel. This is definitely not the same type of game, but it has the same feel as like, you know, a wind jammers. You know, it's very arcade friendly, very, you know, silly and sporadic. And I mean, I don't know what the official title is, but arcade sports probably hits it home. I kind of like it. it. It makes a lot of sense for them. It does feel sort of NBA jamish, where it's like, okay, we have, it's a sports game, but it's not a sports game. It's very fantastical in different ways because you can't really call it sports game because that sounds like Madden or FIFA, the sports simulations. So it's it, it they operate in that weird thing. And I think if we do have other games, we're going to see a, a common industry name for that genre. It just doesn't exist right now. So we've been trying to spitball it on this podcast. And that's the industry at a whole, too. The industry at a whole are what they call these games are genre bending. That's actually that is actually a, a thing. So it's just genre bending. So now all of a sudden you're seeing an arcade sports game or a um, Metroidvania survival game. And you're mixing these genres where for years the tradition has is sports, action, shooter. You know what I mean? And it's just we can't keep going. An industry doesn't grow if they don't innovate. So these genre bendings is actually super important to how we actually approach a lot of these things. I mean, um, one of the biggest genre bending things now is a looter shooter. A looter shooter is that came from being an RPG and a shooter, you know? So we're creating these subgenres, and I think Rocket League falls in that. Yeah, it definitely does. It, it's really interesting and it's a, it's a big growth sector for sure. I'm sure there'll be some of the indie games you highlight that are, similar to that in some way where it feels like a sport but it's got you know whether it be roller champions i think that's ubi actually so that's probably not in the indie game that doesn't qualify it, it, uh, but, but yeah it's a ubisoft title 
Right. Yeah. And then I there was another one at TwitchCon too that was very similar. It was like a sort of it was like a ball. You'd pass a ball around and you just smack each other, and then you had different hero roles like an Overwatch almost. It was pretty cool. I like that title. So maybe that'll appear at uh, at DreamHack. Um, very excited for all these different aspects. One final thing I want to talk to you guys about. It's a new thing coming up for DreamHack Analyme. It's the Dreamies. It's an award show, a little bit tongue in cheek, I think, but it's something cool to see in the game space. So what was the inspiration behind the Dreamies award show? <laughs> um, a jolt in the arm of the industry. Uh, you know, so basically it came from the fact that we were all talking and uh, do you remember back in the day when I think actually they still have it MTV movie awards. Do you remember MTV movie awards? Yes, I when, do, definitely. I mean, so we, we are, we as an industry, we already have enough best art, best design, best graphics. There's enough. It's just like, Holy cow. How many more can you add? You know? And there's some that are doing it really fantastically. Like, like dice summit dice awards, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, it's like, why add another one to the mix? However, if we're going to be coming to Anaheim first quarter of every year, it's award season. So why not create something again, like what DreamHack tries to do is a jolt in the arm, something different. Um, I like using the word disrupting, you know, because it's always fun to disrupt. Right. Um, so basically MTV movie awards were super fun. And I was like, all right, how do we do some, how do we do something comedic for the consumer involve influencers, just keep it fun and tasteful while not insulting these games. Cause you don't want to do that, you know? So, you know, MTV movie awards was kind of a basic um, kind of reference to that point because they had best kiss, best explosion. They did funny skits, you know, all these kind of things that was very just humor driven, but again, not insulting. And then also too, there's another reference that steam does it every year too. They do it around Christmas. Um, steam does a digital version. Like one of their categories was best game with a goat. And it's like, Oh my God, that's hilarious. You know? And they never did a live action version of the show, but they did a digital one. So I was like, let's just create a live action one and have some fun with it. So we created this one with the ultimate Bayham, which is all about, you know, it's a, it's a meme off the Michael Bay kind of thing. And where it's just explosions and stunts and craziness. And it's kind of, it's just been really getting some great momentum for our first year out because I didn't expect this good momentum already. So it's a, it's a product that's going to be with us for a while. It's really interesting. So there's 18 awards coming out and they've all got these funny names. You mentioned Ultimate Bayhem. You've got things like Actual Good Loot, which is uh, for what is the a game where loot actually is valuable and doesn't feel like just backpack stuffing. You have uh, Pimp My Ride, which is the ability to customize your ride never gets old, be it your car, bike, spaceship, or even mech. It's satisfying to see the outcome of your mechanic skills. So I assume that's like the best designed car in game or the best way to design a car that could be a spaceship that could be a car that could be a bike it's a it's vehicle related vehicle related right so i mean if you look at the categories they're all designed to complement what they were made to do right the game ultimate bayham was a game that's supposed to be awesome awesome with explosions and stunts right Pimp My Ride is based on these mechs or any kind of vehicle that you have that's fun. That's also customizable in the depth that you create these games for, you know? So each category is really based on how the consumer plays the game with obviously a humor twist. (laughs) With like not taking yourself too seriously. I love it. I think it's a really cool idea and it'll be interesting to see which ones win. I'm sure there'll be, you know, I'd, I'd love to play a game that gets the mind blown tag that's like wow that's 
that was crazy. Or uh, let's see, pushing boundaries, something that's super out there. Those are the games I love to play. I love to play a game that's going to introduce me to an experience that I've never seen before a different game. And that's the point. It's all about growth in the industry, shot in the arm. Like, you know, with Mind Blown, it's like what kind of title just confused but intrigued, you know what I mean? Just like, whoa, those thrillers that we love to see and those movies and stuff like that. With Pushing Boundaries, Pushing Boundaries is actually a pretty special one because it's like what kind of games are out there getting released that are taking gaming industry to the next level? Now, that could be anything. That could be a game talking about political, you know, things that aren't don't really – aren't really um, a hot topics today, or it could be even like what Mortal Kombat did 20 years ago by pushing violence. You know, it's like, how are these, how are these games pushing the boundaries of people thinking, holy cow, can games talk about this? Can games do this and stuff like that? Definitely. It's exciting to see how are they going to be chosen? Is it a, a group? Like, is it you're going to open it up to the internet? Because I'd hope you wouldn't do that based on how the internet tends to do with things like that. Or is it, do you have a panel that's choosing them? How are you uh, awarding all these different awards? So right now we have a panel. And if time permits, and actually that's what we're working on literally today. If time permits, we do want to open up either this year or next year to where the winners are chosen. Nominees are chosen by the panel. So at least there's no favoritism, kind of fanboy, fangirl approach, anything like that. Um, and the winners, though, we want to be chosen by the public with curation, of course, meaning the public vote, it's a weighted vote. Public, it will get 60% and the panel will get 40% type of approach. However, due to short time, I don't know if we'll be opening up public vote this year, so it might be next year. But the goal is because of its humor, because of the different approach, we really want to involve that kind of community and public, I guess, the public vote to some extent. But you're right, sometimes it can get too carried away. I mean, we're building this thing on the back of influencers too. So we have some influencers involved that we're gonna announce here shortly. And that's only gonna get bigger. We're, as the budget increases, as the potential size increases of the show, you know, we'll add more influencers and different things like that because that kind of community is really important to the vibe of the show. The humor is very similar with the streamer or YouTube you know, approach, right? So in doing that, you kind of have to involve the public to some extent because they're already involved in the daily lives of these streamers and YouTubers. So it makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. As long as you don't give Reddit too much power, you should be fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. It'll, it'll definitely be weighted for sure. I mean, yeah, 100%. Yeah, you gotta you gotta worry about that. We I think people learn their lesson based on some of the the past atrocities that happened with when you open things up to the internet. But when if you choose the finalists and you give them a weighted result, then generally the public behaves. It's only when you give them free reign over something that they go a little little wild. Right, one hundred percent. And then we'll be and then we'll be very open about it too. We're just basically saying public, you can vote. Um, it is weighted amongst the panel, and then we'll name who the panel is and stuff like that. So yeah, it's going to be very out there. But we just want to give them a voice to some extent. <laughs> Definitely, it's good to do that for sure. So that was everything I wanted to talk to you guys about. DreamHack Anaheim 2020, February 21st through the 23rd, Anaheim Convention Center. Uh, you sold out yet? You still got tickets available? Yep, tickets are available. Um, although that is what, that is running out, but yeah, tickets are available. Okay, still tickets available, but not for sure how much longer. Uh, one thing is sold out. Yeah, the Bring Your Own Computer Pass is sold out, but the Festival Pass is still there. Uh, and bring your own computer plus pass still available as well as well as day passes of course if you only want to come 
to one day of the competition. So Mike Vandriel, Chief Product Officer, Justin Burnham, Creative Director of DreamHack. Thank you guys for joining the podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time.